I want you to think for a moment about a friend who has made a huge positive impact in your life. Who comes to mind? Is it a college roommate? Is it a best friend from high school where you kind of shared so much of growing up together? Is it a friend you served with in the military and went through a lot of hardships together? Or perhaps it's a childhood friend uh, growing up. Maybe you're thinking of a professor right now who served as an academic mentor for you, but there was a genuine friendship there as well. Many of you are thinking of your spouse. Your marriage partner is typically your closest earthly companion and friend. And the most intimate, healthy, and encouraging marriages I know anything about are those where the couple can truly say, you know what, we're best friends. As I prepared for this sermon this week, my heart personally was filled to overflowing with joy because of my own friendships. And mostly for my best friend in this world, Debbie, who is my soulmate and lifelong companion. You know, isn't it great? Isn't it great to be able to call your spouse your best friend? I just wanna say, we need to celebrate, folks, good, healthy friendships more often than we do. We need to thank God for them. Friendships are one of God's most precious gifts. When you think about it, friends encourage us when we're down. In Nelson's, Nelson Mandela's autobiography, and by the way, this is an awesome book. Uh, it's called Long Walk to Freedom. He describes in this autobiography, life on Robben Island, where he, along with other political prisoners, spent almost 30 years of his life. He talks about how the prisoners, through, through their friendships and support, brought out the best in each other during those years of painful imprisonment. I read here, the authorities, he says, greatest mistake was to keep us together. For together, our determination was reinforced. We supported each other and gained strength from each other. Whatever we knew, whatever we learned, we shared, and by sharing, we multiplied whatever courage we had individually. That is not to say that we were all alike in our responses to the hardships we suffered. Men have different capacities and react differently to stress but the stronger ones raised up the weaker ones and both became stronger in the process. That's just what friends do. We all need the company of friends who can encourage us when we're down and not doing so well. And by the way, as a follower of Jesus, no matter what your own ethnicity Please let your friends know how you feel this week as we, as we just got another horrifying report out of Minneapolis about another black man, George Floyd, unarmed, motionless, pinned to the ground saying, I can't breathe. And yet the officer kept his knee pressed on his neck. Now, as a white person, I am appalled by the actions that led to Mr. Floyd's death and I believe we need to enact some type of reform 
to prevent these kinds of senseless acts from going on and on. So please, as a follower of Jesus, let your friends know how you feel and how much you care. It's just the loving thing to do. But second, I I want you to consider today that friends also challenge us and bring out the best in us. I love to view all my Christian friends as fuel, said Charles Simeon, and he's sort of a champion of mine, one I have looked up to. He was a longtime pastor in Cambridge in England, and he was speaking to a group of pastors when he made this statement. Having gathered you all together at my hearth, I warm myself at your fire and find my Christian love burn and grow. What a great statement. Charles Simeon was a model pastor and he gladly acknowledged how he just couldn't make it without those friends in ministry who brought out the best in him. You know, the Bible is really a book about relationships, relationships with people and with God. And it's often through these human relationships that that God brings out the best in us. I mean, there's tons of examples of this. Think about William Wilberforce and the group of his friends that became known as the Clapham Sect in the early 1800s in England. In the book called The Clapham Sect, another book I highly recommend, the author Stephen Tompkins shows how Wilberforce and his friends brought out the best in each other and essentially transformed Britain uh, in some hugely significant ways. And one of those ways, of course, was the eventual abolition of the transatlantic slave trade in the UK. Or think about the friendship of C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien was very influential in Lewis's conversion to Christianity. And while Lewis also had a huge impact on Tolkien, Lewis nudged Tolkien to publish The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Tolkien, believe it or not, had put those projects aside and probably, many believe, would have never finished them were it not for Lewis's urgings. Tolkien and Lewis also had a group of Oxford friends called the Inklings. And this is a group of people they met with regularly. They truly brought out the best in each other as friends and in turn, They've influenced the course of modern Christianity. Friendships are honestly that powerful. But third, it's good for us to celebrate friendships because friends stick by our side even when more fickle acquaintances walk away and just flat out let us down. When the heat is on, fickle friends tend to melt away. Simon Peter showed how fickle his own commitment to Jesus was when the pressure was on him. He denied the friendship. He denied he even knew who Jesus was. But faithful friends are solid. Faithful friends are stable. The more I think about it, the more I want to celebrate the joys and the benefits of a good, healthy friendship. I hope, oh, how I hope God has blessed you with some of those. There's a tremendous need, I think, in our culture to recover the importance of friendship. By the way, I really learned something 
this week. And I'm going to tell you about that in just a moment. It was a quote from Cicero that I had never heard of in all my life. But did you know the Bible actually features some famous friendships? If you've read Scripture, you know about some of these. Examples like David and Jonathan, who were close friends. Ruth and Naomi, a pretty unlikely but very awesome friendship. Or friendships like Paul and Timothy. I mean, you talk about a friendship that shook the world with the depth of its impact. And then there's, of course, Jesus and Lazarus, Elizabeth and Mary, Elijah and Elisha, Moses and Joshua, just to name a few. Famous dynamic friendships where they not only encouraged each other, they brought out the best in each other, and through it all, they stood by each other. So let me ask you, do you have friends like that? Those are the kinds of friendships that are life-changing. Now, I told you I was gonna tell you about something I learned this week. I love this when it happens. It gives me a real charge when I've been, when I'm studying a topic that maybe I've studied many times before, but just didn't realize something, I researched the topic of friendship this week, and I learned that Cicero, in his Laelius de Amicia, he made some amazing statements about friendship. By the way, de Amicia that he wrote in about 44 BC is the most famous treatise on friendship in all of history. Now, Cicero was not a Christian. Uh, Christ had not even been born into the world yet, obviously, in 44 BC. But while he had the worldview of most of his contemporary Romans within the Roman Empire, Cicero had a lot of wisdom. And listen now to this statement about the enormous value of friendship. Cicero wrote, I am inclined to think that with the exception of wisdom, no better thing has been given to man by the immortal gods. Wow, think of that. Cicero's saying that besides wisdom, there's no greater gift in this life than friendship. So if friendship can be so wonderful and important, what do you do when the well goes dry on your friendship? That's what happened to two of the greatest Christian missionaries in history. And I'm gonna read that brief story to you now out of the book of Acts, chapter 15, starting in verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. 
the friendship of Paul and Barnabas dates way back to the early days when Paul first became a Christ follower. And, and no one believed in Paul yet. You see, Paul had been a hater and a persecutor of Christians. So when he claimed to be a believer, most people thought he's probably faking it. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe he just wanted to infiltrate their ranks to get their names and ultimately imprison them. So most Christians kind of adopted a wait-and-see attitude about Paul. But then Barnabas, whose name literally means son of encouragement, reached out to Paul and accepted him and brought him into the community by vouching for Paul's character and, and genuineness. Barnabas befriended Paul when nobody else would. In fact, uh, over here in, in Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 25, we read, then Barnabas uh, went to Tarsus to look for Saul. That was his name before it was changed to Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now think of that. Barnabas recruited him to come and join the pastoral team in the church in Antioch. So Paul owed a lot. Would you agree? He owed a lot to Barnabas. They led together. They developed a close friendship. They taught together. Then Paul and Barnabas took a missionary journey together. Where? Over time, not only did their friendship develop, but Paul became more prominent in this dynamic duo than Barnabas. We know that, that's not just opinion, we know that because we read five times in the book of Acts, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, but beginning in Acts 13, 42, nine times we read the names are reversed, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. It takes a special godly kind of friend to make that kind of transition. But during that first missionary journey, one of their team members, this young man named John Mark, who happened to be the cousin of Barnabas, he deserted. Was he homesick? We don't know. Was he fed up with hardship? We don't know the reasons, but he defected, and Paul and Barnabas now continue their journey shorthanded. And now, years later, Paul and Barnabas are going to take another trip. The plan, as we read, is to go back and visit the churches they had established. And Barnabas said, hey, uh, let's take John Mark again. And Paul basically says, no way, dude. That's kind of what it means in the Greek, okay? <laughs> no way. What are you smoking, Barnabas? That's the gist of how strongly he felt. And they find themselves strongly disagreeing on whether John Mark should be given a chance, second chance and be a part of the leadership team. But you know, it's not just Paul and Barnabas. Lots of friends, would you agree? Lots of friends have serious disagreements and split up. Next door neighbors have a falling out and split over property lines. 
Longtime friends have a difference of opinion about child rearing and quit speaking to one another. Business partners disagree over whether a particular practice is ethical or not, and the business just implodes and falls apart. Even family members who should be the closest of friends become enemies. <laughs> I like that cartoon with a teenager who has a, a nose ring and baggy clothes and spiked hair. He looks, he looks pretty edgy. And he says to a friend, I don't really like dressing this way, but it keeps my parents from dragging me everywhere they go. <laughs> Teenagers and parents were once close, but that friendship has become strained. The well definitely goes dry on friendship sometimes. And many of you, perhaps all of you, have experienced that. I certainly have. So what should we do when that occurs? Quickly, I wanna mention three key things I hope you can pack away in your heart and soul. First, conflict happens. So please don't be shocked when it does. Now, why would I say something that to some of you seems so obvious? Here's why. I know some Christians who get almost panicky when a Christian friend seriously disagrees with them. They hate conflict so much, they fail to speak up when they should speak up. Or they cave in too quickly, and then their convictions are compromised, and they brood about it later. Please hear me today, brothers and sisters. Are you listening? Every mature, godly person is gonna have conflicts. Even godly people like Paul and Barnabas had disagreements. These are God's champions here, and they had conflict. So conflict is not always a sign of spiritual immaturity. You may both be walking with God. You're both reading the Bible. You're both in step with the Spirit, but you just see things differently sometimes. It happens. So don't be shocked when that occurs. Don't freak out. Second, often there is a reasonable solution. So seek to find it. Seek to find that solution. Do you remember in the Old Testament when the servants of Abraham got into a conflict with the servants of his nephew Lot over where their sheep should graze? It was a virtual range war. I mean, tempers were flaring, fights are breaking out. It is intense. And so Abraham, in a mature fashion, said, hey, Lot, Lot, hey, man, we're relatives here. And we're friends. We shouldn't be fighting. And our, our teams shouldn't be fighting each other. You choose whether you wanna take your sheep into the valley or the mountain, and whatever you choose, hey, I'll go the other way. So we can nip this conflict in the bud. But let's solve this thing and let's live at peace. Well, Lot chose the valley and Abraham went to the mountains. You see, to this mature, godly leader, Abraham, harmony was more important than whether his sheep had the best grazing land or not. They found a reasonable solution. And I'm convinced that the strongest friendships on this earth have had conflicts. 
but they've learned to deal with those conflicts constructively, and it actually made the friendship stronger. Many of you could stand right now and give that kind of testimony if you had the chance. Now, that means that you need to avoid win-lose or lose-lose scenarios. Dealing with conflict feels a little like going into a tunnel of chaos sometimes, but it needs to be done. So control your anger, watch your tone, listen more than you speak, assume the best of other people, avoid jumping to rash conclusions. As the book of James tells us, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I love Proverbs 29, verse 20. It reads, do you see a man who speaks in haste? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So learn to speak carefully, lest you add fuel to the fire and actually foster more conflict. But remember, often there is a reasonable solution. So seek by God's grace to find it. And finally today, if you must part ways, and sometimes that is the best and wisest thing, if you must part ways, do so as peaceably as possible. What a story this is, right out of Scripture. Paul and Barnabas, God's champions, couldn't arrive at a resolution. So what did they do? They parted ways. But both of them remained true to the gospel. They didn't go around bashing each other. They didn't trash each other's reputation and cause further divisions. One went on a missionary journey in this direction. The other went on a missionary journey in that direction. But they both kept serving God faithfully. And they were both productive in their service for Christ. I'm going to put it to you straight right now, folks, just from my heart. Here's what really disturbs me. I got to tell you, a professing follower of Christ has a conflict with another professing follower of Christ and their friends. But after the conflict, one of them says, well, Well, if that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. And they sound all pious and uppity. And you know what they do? They drop out of their small group. They drop out of worship attendance. They cop a sour attitude and they sulk for years. I've met them. I've talked to them. I've had these conversations with professing Christians who used to be actively involved serving Christ in some public way, and they haven't been to worship for years with other brothers and sisters. And you ask them why, and they say, well, I had a negative experience. Oh, I had a bad church experience. And I want to say with genuine compassion, I'm so sorry to hear that, because I really am. But what I also want to say is, well, haven't we all? I mean, come on. Haven't we all had negative experiences? Wow. Welcome to the human race. Welcome to being human. Friends, 
dear friends, I implore you to have a more mature response than that. Conflicts are a part of the human experience. They will never go away. But two things you need to remember when you run into conflict. Two things you need to remember. Are you listening? Conflict will never separate you from the love of Christ. Praise God. And second, conflict should never get your eyes off the goal of bringing glory to God. Paul and Barnabas did not turn their back on God. They parted as peacefully and peaceably as possible and kept right on serving his kingdom and his cause. If you do need to part ways, as they did, do it as peaceably as possible. Keep on serving God and keep on bringing him glory. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for the amazing gift of friendship. We celebrate it today. I agree with the ancient writer Cicero. Other than wisdom, it's certainly one of the greatest gifts in this life. Thank you, Lord, for the friends in our lives who have encouraged us, who've brought out the best in us, and who've stood by us in a very loyal way, even when we were going through hard times. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. Would you honor them today? And we thank you for this gift of friendship. But we also ask you, God, that when the well goes dry, like it did with Paul and Barnabas, like it still does today, when the well goes dry, would you help us in a mature fashion to not be shocked, but to seek a reasonable solution? And Father, I pray that we'd have eyes to see and ears to hear. On those rare occasions, and I hope they're rare, when we do need to sort of part company, I pray that you'd cause us to be so mature that we would keep on serving your kingdom and cause. We wouldn't trash other people, but rather we would keep on bringing honor and glory to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.